Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace 417 in your app store and follow along. And now, for our message. Barnabas is an excellent role model. So my question to start this morning is, how did your Barnabas homework go? Did you... Don't raise your hands. This isn't one of those deals where we're going to grade you, but did you encourage somebody? Did you find a way to be generous? Did you find yourself on Thursday going, oh my goodness, I haven't done this, and then send like seven texts in a row? Raise your hand if you did that, right? You did the catch up? All right, thank you. Some of you are honest about that. That's good. He is so worth our attention and focus, and I hope that you found some joy in being a little more generous than maybe you normally were, or in dropping a card, or I got some, um, I got an email and a text this past week that I was suspicious of. Someone was acting like a Barnabas with me, like I was their project for the day, which was kind of cool. I don't mind that either, but um, please please keep doing that. Every week, I'm going to give you a little piece of homework around Barnabas, and we're going to focus on him again this morning, but just such an an important thing to do. I, I think our world is in desperate need of people who just take time to say thank you, to take time to say, yeah, you're doing a good job, take time to say you're important, take time to give a little extra money, to to tip a little heavier, to maybe to drop someone um, a card and just tell them how important they are. Our world so desperately needs that. Amen? So would you turn to the person next to you and say, please keep being a Barnabas. Please keep being a Barnabas. Please keep doing that. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 this morning. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 9 in your Bible, that would be great, or on your device. And we are going to, um, we're going to look at Barnabas in another area of his life, another place that is worthy of our imitation. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, your word endures forever. Everything else is going to change, but your word stands firm. It's a foundation for us to build our lives on. And we pray this morning that as we open your word, you would teach us. Holy Spirit, open our understanding to know what your word has said, that the truth might penetrate and transform us. And we pray this this morning in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. amen. All right. Acts chapter 9 is the, what you, we classically think of Acts chapter 9 as being the conversion of Saul. It's when Saul becomes a follower of Jesus. Saul is the person we also know of as Paul. We call him Paul more often. Someplace in the middle of the book of Acts, there's a shift from him being called Saul to him being called Paul. We don't really get the clarity on why that takes place. Saul is a Hebrew name. Paul is a Greek name, and it may have something to do with the ministry context that he's serving in. But at the beginning of his conversion, at the beginning when we first meet him, he is Saul. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, he's moving from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he is on a mission, a mission of evil. He's just gotten done doing evil things in Jerusalem, and he's moving on to Damascus to, you know, to deal with these Christian folks. And as he's rolling along, you know, riding whatever he's riding, horse, whatever, he is struck. This amazing thing happens, bright light from heaven. He falls off his horse. He's down on the ground. He cannot see. He goes blind, and the Lord speaks to him, and the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul says, who are you, Lord? Which is interesting because he understood that it was God speaking to him, but he didn't have a relationship with God. And he's, he is uh, told to go into Damascus, and then he'll be uh, given more further instructions. So he is led by the hand because he is blind. 
He cannot see. He goes into Damascus. He waits for several days. The Lord speaks to a man named Ananias and tells Ananias to go to this certain house on Straight Street, details in scripture. You're gonna find a guy there named Saul. Of course, Ananias says, yes, Lord, whatever you want. No, Ananias says, it's so funny. Ananias says, Lord, do you know about him? Like, he's not a safe person. I can't go over there and, and see Saul because have you heard the rumors about this guy? And the Lord says, you know, Basically, do it anyway, you'll be fine. He does, he goes and ministers to Saul. When he prays for Saul, this is one of the cool things, I, and I find myself praying this often. When he prays for Saul, it, this, the text says that something like scales falls off of Saul's eyes and he is able to see. And I find myself praying that often for people, not necessarily for physical sight, although I certainly would, but I just, there's so many people that are spiritually blind. And I find myself often saying, Lord, would you just cause their their spiritual sight to be restored? May scales fall off of their eyes. Well, this is where that comes from. If you've ever heard that expression, the scales fall off, he can see, he is baptized in water. We believe he is baptized in the Holy Spirit at that same time. And he immediately goes from this place of, of being, you know, blinded by the Lord on the road to Damascus to meeting Jesus to being baptized, he immediately goes out and begins to minister in Damascus. Verse 20 says he just, he goes right out and he starts sharing his faith. He doesn't waste any time sharing his faith. By the time verse 23 of chapter 9 comes along, Saul has been the focus of an assassination plot within Damascus. That is called like going straight into it, you know? He went from being like an enemy of the church to being the enemy of those who um, are against the church. And so they, they have this assassination plot and these people come around him. It says his disciples. So the, you know, it feels like five minutes after he comes to Jesus, he's already got disciples who are helping him escape. They actually put him inside of a basket and they let him down over the wall of the city out of a window and he escapes. And in his escaping from Damascus, he goes back to Jerusalem. That's where I want to pick up the story. Look with me in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 26. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and, was, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and then sent him off to Tarsus. Tarsus is where Saul was from originally. Verse 31. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Saul leaves Damascus where he has had a fruitful ministry that has erupted into conflict. There's this assassination plot. And he, he leaves there and he goes to Jerusalem. And his, his first thought is, you know, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm gonna go see the leaders of the church. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. I think that's a legitimate concern. The last time Saul was in Jerusalem, I don't know, it was weeks or months before that, there was this event that took place. 
It's written about in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. There was a man named Stephen who was one of the leaders of the early church. He's identified as one of the the deacons or helpers from Acts chapter 6. And this guy is a powerful man of God. And he um, he was executed. And in his execution, there was a man, Saul, who stood there and gave his approval to this man's death. I think that if the person that oversaw the death of one of the leaders of the church comes to the church and wants to be included as one of the the new leaders in that church, that it's legitimate for the church to say, we're not so sure about that. They basically stand back and say, like it says in the text, we're not sure that you are a disciple. Can we fault them for not trusting Saul? I have to admit, I would be like, "Mm, we'll see. We'll talk later. We'll watch you. What's the expression? Don't call us. We will call you. When we see that you are actually legitimately following Jesus, we will call you. I can appreciate their concern that Saul was not sincere. I mean, maybe they thought, he's just trying to get in here. He's trying to, you know, kind of weasel his way into our good graces, into our relationship, so that he can do to us what he did to Stephen. He can turn on us. He can have us arrested, have us punished. They were not buying Saul's conversion. Now, I want you to pause right here between verse 26 and verse 27. Verse verse 26 again. Saul goes. He's trying to get in with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Pause right here, and I want you to see what is at stake in this moment. The leaders of the church are afraid, and their fear is keeping them from accepting that this guy has actually become a new person. Saul is an outsider as far as the church is concerned, and he has a horrendous reputation. He's known as a murderer. He's an accomplice to murder, and so they are rejecting him. Now, we live on this side of history, and so we look back, and we see from here that Saul becomes, you know, the the greatest of the apostles. We see that he, he goes all over the known world at that time, sharing the good news of Jesus. We see that he writes a third of the New Testament. We know that eventually he will die a martyr's death in Rome, but they don't see any of that. All they think is, I don't know. I don't trust this guy. What do you feel? I don't know. What do you feel? They're just like, I don't, we're not going to do this. Right between verse 26 and 27, there is a whole lot at stake. And then this son of encouragement, this guy Barnabas, who just happens to be in Jerusalem at this exact right time, turn to the person next to you and say, there are no coincidences with God. Barnabas just happens to be there. Verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas went and got Paul, Saul. He brought him to the leaders and he gave testimony on behalf of Saul. We're not told how Barnabas knew anything about what happened to Saul. We're not, we're not told, you know, exactly the details, but we know this. He understood that Paul's transformation was legitimate, and he went to bat for him with the leaders of the church. Saul needed somebody to open a door for him, and Barnabas was that person. The situation wasn't moving forward, and then Barnabas gets involved. He steps up, and he advocates for this man, Saul. Barnabas was an insider who looked to this outsider and making sure that he would be seen and understood for who he actually was. Barnabas was in a position of trust, apparently, with the leaders of the church. They'd given him his nickname, so he must have known them. The apostles trusted him, and he trusted that what God was doing in Saul's life was legitimate, and so he he gets involved. 
Write this down this morning if you're taking the notes. Barnabas was both trusted and a truster. And from that position, he builds a relational bridge between Saul and the church leaders in Jerusalem. And Barnabas is effective. When you look at verse 28, look at the shift that happens in verse 28. So he went in and out, talking about Saul. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 26, we don't trust you. You are part of the murder of this man, Stephen, who we all loved. We're not sure that we believe that you are a disciple. Verse 27, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, gets involved, advocates, gives testimony on behalf of Saul. Verse 28, all of a sudden, Saul has free access in and out of the leadership circles of the church at Jerusalem. It's huge. Friendship, ministry partnership, mutual support, affection, all of these eventually become a reality between Saul and the leaders in the church because Barnabas invested his time and leveraged his influence. And look how things change when you read down through. Of course, Saul being Saul immediately gets in trouble again. He starts arguing with people. Do you all have friends like this? Like you just, can't we just have a nice dinner and not talk about controversial things and they're always wanting to go there? That's Saul. He is that guy that's just always ready to have, you know what, that's not true. He's that person that sees everything as black and white and he immediately gets in trouble, has another fight with these Hellenists that's just Greek-speaking Jews and just like at Damascus, they want to kill him. And look at the shift, though, how this happens. There's this incredible irony that the people that thought that Saul wanted to kill them are now protecting him. They're rescuing him. They're sending him to Caesarea so that he can be out of Jerusalem and not be hurt. And it all is possible. It all happens because a man with credibility and maturity stepped in to help. That person is Barnabas. He was a role model last week because of his encouragement, because of his generosity. He's a role model this week because he's willing to advocate for someone who cannot advocate for themselves. Nothing that Saul could have said would have changed the minds of the people in Jerusalem. His reputation was too bad. His, it preceded him. There was no way he was gonna say, guys, really, I'm changed. I don't kill people anymore. Really, that wasn't gonna happen. They're like, yeah, right. Just like we would have been. But, but Barnabas had some insight. He had some knowledge, and he was willing to put himself in this position of an advocate. An advocate is one who pleads, according to the scriptures, is one who pleads another's cause. An intercessor, in a wider sense, someone who is a helper or who is an assistant. That's what an advocate is um, out of the scriptures, which again sounds an awful lot like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one who advocates on our behalf, who pleads our cause before the Father, who is an intercessor for us, who is a helper. There's this connection between Barnabas and the Spirit of God To advocate, write this down if you would, to advocate is to stand on behalf of another or with his or her cause. Barnabas is an advocate who advocates. This is Barnabas. He sees a situation, he gets involved, he's not too busy, he uses his influence, he uses his relationship, and he changes the course of the church's history because he got involved, because he used his maturity and his credibility. I want to be friends with people like Barnabas. Don't you? I want to be friends with people like Barnabas. I want to be around people like that. Remember last week I had said that, that um, I had this like, special love for Barnabas? Like a man, I was going to say like a man crush, but you know, I, mean, I just I got this thing. Barnabas is like my guy. I know that's so inappropriate. I'm so sorry. 
forgive me, but I just really like him. And it's partly because by nature, we're, we all, when we read things, we see ourselves, this is the way that Westerners read scripture, we see ourselves as the hero. Like when I re, you read the Bible, like we tend to put, oh, I'm the Saul, I'm the Paul, I'm the Peter, I'm the, I'm the David, whatever it is that you're reading, we tend to put ourselves as the main character. Barnabas isn't the main character, but Barnabas makes the main character's ministry possible. And so I just, I love this guy. And something happened about six or seven years ago. I don't remember the exact date, but I remember the situation in my life. And it's where I got connected to Barnabas at the heart level. And I want to share that story with you. Most of us in our lives have been in the position of being Saul at one time or another in this X9 context, where we have been an outsider, where we have not felt included. I, I was in a position about six or seven years ago in a particular circumstance where I felt like I was underappreciated. I felt like I was not important. I felt like I was being overlooked. I felt even somewhat like I was being dishonored. We've been there. I needed someone to step up and advocate for me. I needed someone to, to, to open a door for me. And as I was praying to the Lord about this situation, and this went on for several months, as I was praying to the Lord, I was pouring my heart out to him. He answered me, but he answered me in a way that I was not expecting. Has that ever happened to you? You're telling the Lord, this is how I want my, my, the answer to come to me. And the Lord says, I noted, you know, and then he gives you the answer that he wants to have for you. And I was praying and I'm saying, Lord, you know, I need somebody to open a door for me. I need somebody to see me. I need someone to advocate for me. I'm feeling dishonored. I'm feeling overlooked. And the Lord answered my prayer. And instead of comforting me directly or telling me, hey, you're going to be seen. It's going to be okay. Just, just keep, you know, hold steady. It's going to happen. This is what he spoke to my heart. He spoke to my heart, Tim. That's what he calls me usually, Tim. You cannot control whether another will be a Barnabas to you. But you have great influence over whether you will be a Barnabas to someone else. And I would love to tell you that I said, praise God, I had the answer I was looking for. <laughs> it was one of those, hmm. I know I've heard from you, Lord, but that is not what I was wanting to hear. Essentially, the Lord was saying, I want you to advocate for someone else. Instead of waiting for them to see you and step in and help you. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, look for a saw where you can give your care and your help and use your voice for their benefit. See the potential in someone else. Work for their promotion. Work for their success. Work for their acceptance. Work for their advancement. And, Tim, trust that I will take care of you. And even though it wasn't what I wanted to hear, I tried to be obedient to what he said to me. And I tried to step out and see myself as Barnabas instead of wanting a Barnabas to come to me. And I will not say to you that since that time, I've never felt overlooked. I always feel honored. No, that's not, that's not true. But, and this is the, the beauty of what I want to share, but the day that I said, Lord, I want to be a Barnabas for someone else, something broke inside of my heart in a good way. Something broke off. Some, some neediness, some smallness of mind, some smallness of vision just was lost in me and I felt like the Lord healed something inside of me. And I have come to believe since that time this, that advocating for others in the Barnabas way is where all of the joy and all of the fulfillment of serving God resides. 
Like if you want to have fun doing this thing of following Jesus, take this path of Barnabas. Look for someone to invest in. And that's why he's become my hero because it's the, it's the encouragement, it's the generosity, it's the advocacy. All of those things are the joy of serving Jesus. That's where the fun is. See, our ministry efforts can feel very small and insignificant. But when God's kingdom, I believe, is advanced through helpers, God's kingdom is advanced through helpers who pay attention to what God is saying and they respond to the little nudges of the Holy Spirit. See, that's what I think happened with, with, with Barnabas. I don't think Barnabas got up that morning, whenever that day was, verse 27, I don't think he got up that day and thought, you know, I'm gonna intersect the history of the church today and make a difference that'll be talked about for generations. I don't think that's what happened. I think Barnabas got up and did his normal Barnabas day thing and somewhere along the line, he heard something, felt something and the Holy Spirit said, you need to get involved. And that little nudge hit him and he was like, yeah, I need to get involved. I need to do this thing. And because he was willing to invest himself, because he brought his credibility, his relationship, his maturity, he used all of those things. He leveraged all of those for the sake of this man Saul. Everything that we understand about Christianity has been changed because one guy listened when the Holy Spirit said, do this. Think about that space between chap- chapter 9, verse 26, and chapter 9, verse 27. Just between those two verses. It is a place of potential. It is a place of, of pivot. It's a place where God can do anything. And friends, it's not just what happened to him. It's what happens to us. I believe that we get up every single day and God says, I want you to be ready to step into situations because there's a verse 27 waiting to happen and I need somebody to be like Barnabas. And we just have to listen. We just have to be ready. We just have to respond. We have to use our credibility and our maturity and our relationships to promote and advance not ourselves, but someone else. And who knows what God can do through the person that you advocate for? You will not know. I will not know this side of heaven what the fruit, the full fruit of our decisions are. But I do know this. It's where the fun is and it's what God is calling us to. Write this last thing down. Trust the Father to take care of you. And while you're trusting him to take care of you, make a way for someone else. Make a way for another. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 fits so well here. It says this, Solomon writes, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. That's what God is calling his church to do. Again, I'm honored to lead Grace Church but I'm honored to lead Grace Church in this way in particular. I feel like God's brought a whole bunch of really good Barnabases here. Nobody's like super stuck on themselves. Nobody's thinking, I wanna be the Paul. Can God do that? Absolutely. But if we're all focusing on being Barnabas, looking for ways to position others for advancement, we will be fruitful. God will move in this place. He will reach more people. We will impact our community when our spirit like his is basically saying, How can I help? What can I do? How can I get involved? Would you pray with me? Would you stand as a matter of fact and pray together? Your Barnabas homework for this week is, it's a little more involved. It's easy to be encouraging and generous. Your Barnabas homework for this week is a little more involved. It's this. I want you to pray about who can you build a bridge for? Who is out there that you can open a door for? Who can you advocate for? Think of that person 
And as the Lord gives you that little nudge like Barnabas got, I want you to be obedient. I want you to just step out and do whatever you can do. It, it's so often, it's so often just little things. Come on up, sweetie. You can't? You can. She will. She is gonna come up. Let's tell Alicia we're glad she's coming up. <laughs> Thanks, Alicia. I want you to pray about who can be that person. I'm convinced, and you, we can argue about this later if you don't agree with me, I'm convinced that the Lord is constantly giving us opportunities to do this. It may not be on the scale of Acts chapter nine, but he's always saying, here's some place that you can position yourself for the betterment of another. Trust that he will take care of you as you take care of someone else. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to chase after your heart by imitating a man like Barnabas. Thank you that we get to do the work that the Spirit does when we help, when we encourage, when we assist, when we advocate. May we be a body of people not focused on what we need, but focused on what we can give to others. And Lord, in that we know that you, we know that you will take care of us that's what you do. You take care of your children, Lord. We're not worried about that. Lord, may our desire be for the, for the recognition and the honor of others first. And I pray, Lord, this, this week would be a week full of divine appointments where we just recognize, oh, this is it. This is my Barnabas moment to advocate, to stand by, to, to open a door, to build a bridge for another person, Lord. May that be the spirit in which we serve you. May that be the way that this church family chooses to live out our calling, saying to you and to others, how can we help? How can we serve? I pray this this morning in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before I let you go, um, I, I wanna invite you, if you're here and you do not have a relationship with Christ, you're not certain about um, your connection with God. We would love to pray with you. We would love to share our, our faith with you, to share Jesus with you, to pray over you and to, to equip you with the word so that you might begin to follow Jesus. It is not just a prayer, although it is a prayer for sure. It, it's a decision to start walking on a journey. And so we wanna help you get started on that journey this morning. So after this uh, blessing, come forward. There'll be prayer team members and elders and others here in the front that can pray with you. And we would love, we would be honored to do that. Would you close your eyes and extend your hands in front of you and just receive this blessing this morning before I release you. Grace Church family and friends and guests and visitors and everyone here, everyone watching online, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you'd like more information about giving your life to Jesus, email us at info at grace417.com. That's I-N-F-O at grace417.com. We pray you have a blessed day.